Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at Thank you all. So on behalf of, uh, of Art and Lisa and Becky, uh, and by the way, he's the doctor, I'm not, so you, you don't have to take me near as serious um, or as knowledgeable for that matter. Uh, but thank you so much, District Church, for allowing us to be here with you guys this weekend. We've had a great time. Um, you may remember, uh, if, for those of you that were with us, I kind of had a my top 10 list of kind of things if you want to have a, a, a successful journey together, a foolproof marriage. Uh, I gave you nine of them, okay? And I told you today's the 10th and it's the best one. Um, and it wasn't just a hook to get you here, it actually is the best one. Um, so number 10 principle, if you want to have a foolproof marriage, two words, pray together. I see some of you actually writing that down. Good, I like that. Um, pray together. And that's is not just for each other. It's praying with each other. As a couple, it's critically important that you pray together. Now, why would that be? Why would that be so important? Uh, I could give you some general things like Becky and I have experienced, like when we pray together. Guys, I don't know if you're like me. Do you ever get mad at your wife? Never. Uh, I, well, you, okay, you guys are more spiritually <laughs> wise than I am. Uh, I get mad at my wife. Let me ask you this. You think it's hard to pray with your wife if you're mad at her? The answer is yes. <laughs> it's extremely hard to pray with your spouse if you're mad at each other. So you're going to have to get in the proper mindset to be able to pray together. Um. Let me give you one factual reason. Those of you that were here with us yesterday, remember that I love facts. I love fun facts. I like something to back up why I think it's a good idea. Um, well, here, here's one fun fact for you of why is it a good idea to pray together, and I think the most greatest reason to pray together. Uh, we talked about yesterday that the divorce rate in America is approximately 50%, 50, 55% of all marriages fail. Among those that actually attend church every now and then, the divorce rate's higher than that. It's about 60. Uh, those that get divorced and remarry a second time, what did we hear yesterday from anybody? Second marriages, what's the divorce rate? 64 or so, so over 60%. Okay, if you get married then and you divorce a second time, you get married a third time and you say, okay, now I've got it. What's that divorce rate? 75. Some of y'all were really good yesterday. You remember some of this stuff. Here's the here's a fun fact for you. Uh, a guy named David McLaughlin, who is a survey guy, writer, author, student of marriages, says a divorce rate in America is about one out of every two. In his studies, by drilling down and understanding people that stayed together, he has determined that the divorce rate for couples that pray together one in 10,000. I'm not making that up. One in 10,000. Now, if you're like me, I like favorable odds. Okay? So I'm sharing with you, it's biblical to pray over all things. 
it's factual that prayer works and it helps keep you together. So I want you to think about that. Uh, I, I remember as a kid, I remember hearing this saying, I don't know if you ever heard this or not, the family that prays together stays together. I remember hearing that as a kid and thinking, well, that sounds kind of cool, kind of cute, I guess, maybe. Well, I've since learned it, it actually is true. <laughs> the family that prays together, it's, it's important to pray for each other, but when you pray with each other, there's a unique bond that you create that lasts forever. It helps you, as it says in the Bible in Genesis, that two to become, they come one, they become one together. It draws you closer together and you become one when you pray together. So I just want to share that with you this morning. Um, Pastor Art, how about if I pray? Lord, we just thank you so much for uh, being here with us today. I thank you for this worship time that we've already had this morning and how uh, it's just so awesome to, to come together and worship and to, to praise you, uh, to, to be reminded of all the things that you've done for us, Lord, and your death on the cross, the resurrection, uh, just being our, our holy Savior. Uh, we thank you for this time that you give us together today. Uh, I ask that you be with Brother Art as he uh, brings the message this morning, and I pray that all of our hearts would be attentive to what you would say through him. We thank you for all that in Jesus' name. Thanks, dear brother. They, they gave me the headset thing. Um, it really is an honor to be here. One of the fun things about coming someplace new uh, and worshiping is that you get new songs. And so um, I'm usually pretty demonstrative in worship. I love lifting my hands, but I, the theology of the songs was incredible this morning. And I was just pondering what I was singing and reading and hearing and um, that was really, really cool. Thank you for, for leading us in worship today. Um, one of the things that, um, I, that I believe in is planting churches. Um, God led us to do that uh, as a couple, and so we've had that experience we, for about eight years, and then God took us to, um, uh, to Georgia one of the reasons uh, why is because the church plant that we were called to plant was to be uh, rapidly reproducing. So we helped start eight churches in eight years. And um, so uh, it was time for the mother, uh, the mother church to get kind of a little, somebody who wasn't always starting something new. I was listening to Pastor Dwayne this morning talk about uh, trailers and stuff that people give and donations and distributing and all that stuff and it brought back great memories and it also brought back twitches and tremors and all that stuff too um but i would say this it's it's, a, it's an honor to be with you it's always an honor to be um in uh, with people who have stepped out on faith to reach a community it was an honor on Friday to, to drive by schools and apartment complexes where you're investing. That was so encouraging to see that and to see what God's doing and how God's blessing those partnerships. And though you sit in a, in a theater this morning and you may say, and I don't know, maybe you're new and you're like, gosh, there aren't a lot of people here. Oh, there will be. And, and God's going to do that in his timing. But what God's doing is building relationships and changing a community already through you. And God's making a difference through you. Um, and we're part of a church that's fif almost 50 years old. And um, for the first time, 
uh, in the life of that church uh, in a few, in a f- just a couple of months. Um, God has been forging a partnership in a school. And um, so we've been praying that, and you guys are doing that from the beginning. And I just want to encourage you in that, that our church believes in you. We believe in your pastor. We believe in your leaders. We believe in what you're doing. And uh, we believe it's worthy of our investment. Um, but most of all, it's an honor uh, to get to open God's word with you. Uh, it's the greatest honor I have is to open God's word with people um, beyond sharing the gospel one-on-one, opening God's word. I really count as an honor. We spent most of the day yesterday talking about uh, four principles, the priority of him being Jesus, uh, the priority of you being your spouse, the priority of stewardship being your stuff, and then uh, we ended up talking about the priority of us, the priority of your relationship in the context of family, in the context of church, in the context of culture, and how hard that is, and what God's called us to, and even practical um, observations about that. And if you weren't uh, able to join us yesterday, today I'm going to, uh, from one text, I want to talk about three of those priorities. And uh, for those of you who were here yesterday, it'll kind of reinforce, hopefully, those. And if you weren't here with us, it will kind of maybe give you a summary of the day yesterday uh, from one text. And God's going to speak to us. I just know he is because it's his word. He says his word won't uh, return void. One of the things I love about God's word is that it speaks to all of us no matter what our stage of life is. Um, I was preaching through the Sermon on the Mount in uh, the Gospel of Matthew some years ago, and uh, a, a young guy had come on our staff, and he was single and was dating and was wanting to get married. And try, in fact, he was trying to save up money to buy a ring. And uh, I'd been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount for about six weeks, and the Sunday before I'd been preaching on G- what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount about divorce. And, um, and he came to my office. He's like, man, this stuff you're preaching is just not relevant to my life. Really? He's like, yeah, man, you, you just, it's just not relevant to me. I'm, you know, 21 years old. It's just not relevant. And I'm like, really? I said, so tell me who that person was sitting next to you last Sunday. And he said, well, he told me her name, which I knew her name. But I, I, said, I said, so you, you told me you want to marry that girl. Yeah, so you don't think what Jesus has to say about divorce is relevant to you with that? He's like, I hadn't thought about that. I'm just telling you, God's word is relevant to your life, and I really believe that with all of my heart. So no matter what your stage of life is, where you are, I hope um, God will speak to you. I, I'm, I believe God will speak to you uh, this morning. Um, in our culture, uh, the text that I'm going to uh, open with here in Ephesians chapter 5 um, is often despised and rejected as something that's old-fashioned or out of date uh, in this contemporary life. But I just want to challenge you with two questions. Two questions. If we believe that God is eternal and is the creator of everything, including you and me, if we believe that God's eternal, then God's why would we not believe that God's principles for the thing he created and ordained would not be relevant to our lives? So I would challenge you to think that way. And the second is if we want to experience God's blessing on something that he created, God ordained, why would we not follow God's plan? It's kind of like me buying a new MacBook computer. 
and then saying, oh, I think I want to treat it like a PC. You can't do it. You might get something out of it, but you are not going to experience what Apple created that MacBook to be. Does that make sense? You, try, you, you can say your Galaxy uh, phone is awesome, but you can't take an iPhone and treat it like a Galaxy and expect to get all that the people who made the iPhone intended it for it to be. Does that make sense? We can't take something that God made, ordained, try to put some other plan on it, some other uh, boundaries or guidelines for it, and then expect that God's going to bless it the way that he made for it to be. And it just um, drives us then to the text to say, what does God say? In the context of, of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 actually starts with uh, God talking about, in his word, about us being subject to uh, our relationships and submitting to each other, preferring other people over ourselves. Life is not all about us. And then he turns to marriage here in verse 22. Wives, be subject or submissive to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it, so that he might sanctify her or purify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. It's kind of an odd little comparison here, but when a bride was getting ready to be married, she would go and there would be this thing called the bride's bath. And Jesus is preparing for himself, us who are believers, as a bride for himself. And he's talking about the bride's bath, this thing that a bride would do right before the wedding to get ready and prepared for that. And he says that for his own bride, the church, believers, he's washing us by the word. The word of God washes us. It makes us more like him. It drives us to purity. And he does this, verse 27, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Notice how many times he says own in this text. Your own wife, not somebody else's wife, your own wife. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. And then he goes and quotes Genesis chapter 2. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined or cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So he's, he's giving us this picture of marriage to reference what it looks like with him and his church, his believers. What does he want to do with us and this picture of marriage? But here's what we know. Because God's word is true, the principles with which he's drawing this picture are true also. He doesn't give us false things in order to draw the picture of his relationship with believers. These are true for us. And here's what he says. Nevertheless, each individual among you 
also is to love his own wife even as himself. So he's saying, even though I'm drawing this picture of the church, this is for you in your relationship with your particular spouse. And the wife must see that she respects her husband. I want to reinforce three of the priorities from yesterday. First of all, the priority of Christ. The context of this text, of this scripture, is submission. It's submission. And he just talked about mutual submission. So this is not something unique. It's something that should be generally in our population, in our culture, in our core beliefs. We should be preferring somebody else to ourselves. If we don't do that, we call that selfishness, right? And none of us would say being selfish is the right path to go. And he's just said, you're not supposed to be selfish, but what happens in marriage often, in any of our relationships, sometimes we talk more about me and I than we talk about you. So he's talking about mutual submission here. The submission of the wife to her husband, he says here, is a willing response that proceeds from her submission to Christ. It is obedience to God rather than worrying about whether the husband's worthy of her submission. When a wife is submissive or subject to her her husband as the leader, it's because of her submission to Christ that she does it, not because her husband is some awesome guy, which I hope every wife believes that her husband's an awesome guy. I hope that's the case. If you married some guy and you didn't think he was awesome, we should have a talk. Especially when you married him, you should think he's awesome. Then you find out he's a mess. And as I said yesterday, all of us have messes. What happens in marriage is sometimes what wasn't public becomes public, right? Um, Your messes. And, And just for the record... Um, I really appreciate worship leaders and pastors because you don't know if they argued with their spouse on the way to church and they got to come up here and do this anyway. My wife may be totally ticked at me and I'm still doing this. Why? Because it's God that matters. One of the things that happens oftentimes when you're a church leader, and I'm going to speak to those of you who lead, who serve, um, oftentimes what happens is you come into the presence of God and he drives you immediately to repentance. And I learned a long time ago that repentance is not a bad thing. It's a great thing. Aren't you glad that God allows us to repent and put ourselves back under submission to him? He brings us back into right relationship. So for the wife, it's an obedience to God, not necessarily a subjection to her husband. A wife says, I'm following God, which means I play this role, which means I make myself submissive to my husband. The headship of the husband reflects the model of Christ as the head of the church. We're supposed to be modeling in our marriage relationships this picture of what it looks like with Christ and his church. That's what we're supposed to model. It's not a relationship of superiority of the husband or the inferiority of the wife. It's about a picture that God put in marriage. And he says it works this way. This is the thing that as I was preparing for this this message um, this morning, 
um, that really drove back home to me. If you read about Christ himself, especially if you read in Philippians chapter 2, it draws this beautiful picture of the fact that Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, he's the God-man, he came here to redeem us, but he submitted himself to become, it says, obedient to the death, even the death on the cross. He, he made himself subject to the Father, even though he's equal with the Father. He is God. He made himself subject to that. What I love is this. God, the Father, because of Jesus' submission to be the one to come, to give us life through death on the cross, as we sang about earlier, because he did that, you know what God the Father says? That he's given him a name, which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, just because he submitted himself to be obedient to the Father, he, he made himself, he allowed himself, even though he's co-equal with God the Father, he allowed himself to be obedient and submit himself to the Father's desire to redeem mankind, just because he did that, God the Father then turns around and exalts him above everything. And the picture we have here is of a husband and a wife, and a wife who says, I'm going to make myself, I'm going to willingly submit myself to the role that God has given me in a marriage to be submissive to my husband, and husbands, woo. look what happens. It's our role then to love our wives in a way. And as we love them and as we nourish them and cherish them, and we're going to get to that in a second, what happens is, is we elevate our wives. To be as awesome as they are. And unlike God the Father and God the Son who were co-equal, let me just tell you, I outpunted my coverage. My wife's way more awesome than I am. Oh, she won't tell you that, but her kids and my kids, our kids, they'll tell you that. Mom is better. And I know it. Here's the thing. The priority of Christ in here. A rebellion against God's design places your marriage out of alignment with his blessing. We talked yesterday about being in alignment in the area of stewardship. When we follow God's principles of stewardship and how we handle our stuff, we put ourselves in alignment with God for his blessing. Here's the thing. When we align our marriage and all of our relationships, not just our marriages, because if you continue to read in chapter 5, he's going to talk about all kinds of relationships. Read what the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians about marriage, and it's similar to this, but then he goes into all these things about work relationships. When we line ourselves up with God's design for relationships, we align ourselves up to experience the blessing of God. And it is so much better than you could ever drum up in blessing for yourself. I wrote this down. When the Christian wife submits herself to Christ and lets him be the Lord of her life, she finds no difficulty in submitting to her husband. Just because that's how he designed it. Number two, the priority of you. In verses 25 through 30, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. How hard is that? Now, we don't want to admit this. But ladies, as hard as it might be to live in that role that God has designed for you, 
loving you like Christ loved the church is the hardest thing. Not because you're unlovable, but because loving to that level is impossible in our own flesh and strength. And guys, we tend to have this pride thing, like we can do it all, and we can do it ourselves. And we can't. But that's what we're called to do, is to love you the way Christ loved the church. Christ died for the church. He came and he served the church. He served people. Husbands are not told to keep their wives in subjection, but to love their wives just as Christ loved the church. And I love, it's been well said this, that no wife would mind being submissive to her husband who loves her as much as Christ loved the church. No, no wife finds that hard to be submissive to somebody that loves her just as much as Christ loved the church. Gandhi um, said one time, he said, I, I would have probably have become a Christian if I could have ever really seen one live as a Christian. It's hard to love people like Jesus loves people. We're fighting that all the time to try to love you, our wives, like Christ loved the church. It's hard. Not because you're hard to love, because it's hard for us. But that's what he's called us to. The burden of modeling sacrifice falls squarely on the husband. We talked about this yesterday, but the path of sacrificial love must lead to learning about the needs of your spouse. Jesus didn't come to meet the needs we didn't have. He came to meet the need we had. The greatest need that we had was our sin need. He healed people. He raised people from the dead. He fed 5,000 with loaves and fishes. He did all that stuff, but the greatest need that we had was our need of our soul. And he came primarily to meet that. I wrote this down. Your spouse's greatest need is not happiness, but holiness. And that's only found by God's word. Husbands, guys, the greatest thing you can do is live out God's word. The only way you can live out God's word is to know God's word. We talked about that yesterday. The prime, primary uh, priority of God's word being the authority in our lives. And it doesn't mean you quote scripture to your spouse or your kids all the time. It means you live out what those truths are. You live out what those truths are. The most beautiful wife is a sanctified wife. A wife who's becoming more like Jesus, holier because she's becoming more like Jesus. I love the picture here. He says that he's preparing for himself a bride who would be blameless and flawless and spotless. The most beautiful woman in the world is a woman who is more like Jesus. And as a husband, we've got to focus on that rather than outside beauty. Knowing your spouse intimately is yourself. He says here that she is you. You are her. And no one ever hated his own flesh. You need to know your wife as intimately, your husband as intimately as you know yourself. And that's hard. And then he says you're to nourish. Nourish is the physical protection, provision, Husbands, you're supposed to provide that. And then cherish, that's 
affection and warmth you're supposed to provide emotionally for your spouse. When we prefer our spouse over ourselves, we are preferring ourselves. Isn't that weird? It doesn't sound right. And culture won't tell you that. We prefer our spouse over ourselves. Let me give you a, a prime example of that. See, I'm going to confess here, and my wife's in the room. I usually like to confess when she's not. Um, so I was reminded yesterday, as you all were filling out the, the surveys and things like that, my wife's greatest uh, need is quality time. And you know one of her greatest ways to have quality time? She likes to play games. They take time. You know what one of the things I just dislike doing the most <laughs> is playing games. And God convicted my heart yesterday about the fact I need to play more games. And it doesn't need to be her idea. It needs to be my idea. Y'all okay? Now some of you are saying you, you figured out what your spouse or your uh, girlfriend or your fiance or whoever these relationships are and God God's telling you what that is, and, and y'all okay with a little confession this morning? I just feel better about it. Um, but you know, my, my wife knows uh, what I need. She also knows what's healthy for me. Um, we live in a place where we can play golf year-round, and she knows it's healthy for me to get out and have exercise and to do something that I like. I don't play basketball well anymore, although I love it. One of the greatest things, uh, I, I had a year from the pit living in Marion, Indiana um, back in the 80, uh, early 90s because uh, my job was terrible. But one of the favorite things I got to do was do play-by-play -play basketball for the local TV station. It rocked. It was awesome. I love basketball. I'm a basketball referee. I referee high school basketball and have for years because I love the game. I've coached it. I can't play it anymore. I got bad knees. Just can't. But my wife encourages me to get out and play golf because she knows it's good for me. Not because I want to, but because it's good for me. Whatever it is for you, we, that's how we prefer each other. We know each other and we prefer each other. And when we do that, we also have to know that the motive has to be pure. Um, if you want to prefer your spouse, they can tell if you really mean it or not if it's genuine, or if you're just trying to appease them or manipulate them. I wrote this down. John MacArthur wrote, said this, In the end, a husband who loves his wife in the, these ways brings great blessing to himself from her and from the Lord. When we follow God's principles of making a priority of our spouse or other people in general, we not only experience the blessing of that person, we experience the blessing of God because we're following his path. And last thing, the priority of us. Verse 31 to 33. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Leaving and cleaving. As he quotes Genesis 2, 24, I, I told Miss Becky this morning, I hate it when I get songs in my head because I was a worship pastor at one time and songs just you know, stick in your head and you're like praying, God, please give me something else. It's like when you get a Christmas song in your head in June. It's like, oh, really, give me anything else but that, right? 
And the other day, I was, as I was finishing writing this, I got this, uh, any country music fans in here, anybody like country music? Uh, I got the Sugarland song in my head stuck like glue. Good gosh, it's in my head this morning, and I just cannot get it out. I don't, I, I thought about actually doing a video clip from the official music video, but it's like sh- in that video, um, she's like this stalker, and she gets thrown in jail. I just didn't think it was appropriate <laughs> this morning. But, but here's the thing. When, when the Bible's talking about cleaving and being joined to one, it's this deal about being stuck like a, a bumper sticker to a bumper when you do that, and then you try to take the bumper sticker off, it leaves a mess, and it'll never stick to anything quite the same again. And when we get married, when we have a marriage that's a covenant between us and another person and God, it forms this triangle that is not meant to ever be separated. And that's why what Gary said about percentages of marriages in the second and third marriage everybody's bringing baggage in and and this and, and God can overcome anything but it's not the way he intended sexual intimacy is God ordained within marriage it's meant to be both both fulfilling and productive it has purpose and the permanence of marriage here exemplifies Christ's intimate covenant with believers aren't you grateful that when jesus comes into our life and makes us a part of his family he never ever ever leaves aren't you glad he's more dependable than you are and i am he says here husbands love your own lives for your particular wife in this way not somebody else wives are supposed to reverence their husband in this unique way that is only meant for that relationship. I wrote this down. I didn't read this anywhere. I wrote this down. The main joy of the believer and in a marriage is the intimate personal relationship. We must treasure the relationship above everything else. You got to treasure the relationship above the benefits. You got to treasure the relationship above everything doesn't know what God wants from us. He wants to treasure our relationship with him. And that then drives our behavior. It's not a behavior that builds a relationship. It's a relationship that drives our behavior. Two points of application here. We tend to think of life in terms of balance. However, it doesn't apply here. It doesn't apply here. The priority of Christ, supremacy of Christ totally sold out to Christ, leads to mutual submission, loving, and serving our spouse. If Christ is first, this happens. It's not this happening leads to the primary priority of Christ. It's not do this and that leads to this. Jesus Christ is primary. He is it. He is my priority, and that leads me to this because of what he does in me. The priority of Christ leads to holding his priority for your marriage relationship. And secondly, we tend to think of life in terms of pursuing success, but success doesn't apply here. We talk all the time and we hear all the time, people write all the time about having a successful marriage. What's that look like? 
you know, if you're Indiana University and you're on the football team, it, success might be winning six games and getting to a bowl game. If you're from my alma mater, not winning the national championship is like fire the coach. I've met your coach personally. His daughter goes to school with my daughter at Sanford University. I like Tom Allen. So <laughs> he's awesome. But, you're, but what I'm saying is, is everybody's vision or measure of success is different. We use terms like that, and that's not the measure. God meant for us to have joy and we can't have that by personal effort. You only experience the joy of the marriage that God intends by his power. We cannot do it ourselves. Ladies, you cannot live in a submissive, appropriate, wonderful role as a wife and husband. You can't love your wife like Christ loved the church in your own power. The health of our marriage the health of our lives is found in dependence on God. And when we try to start doing it ourselves, we will mess it up. Your greatest ingenuity of being creative about making dates with your wife is all like, it'll go away. Your greatest plans, without the power of God, you can't do this, I can't do this, we can't do this. Which leads to a question. If, if you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Christ, um, there's no possible way to experience the marriage that God ordained to happen without understanding first the love of Christ in salvation, knowing him and the forgiveness of sin and the joy of relationship with God through Christ is the only way you can ever experience marriage the way God intended it's the only way. God never intended for man and woman. Go, go back to the beginning of time. Adam and Eve, he put them in a marriage together before they sinned. That's what he intended. And then sin messed that up. And the only way we can have relationship with God and experience his love is if we do that through faith in Jesus Christ. And then we have some ability because of the power of God in us and the forgiveness we've experienced to express the exact same grace to a spouse who was also messed up not as messed up as us guys we all have messes and we can't do this without him and if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ there is really really good news you know what the good news is the good news is is you can have that relationship today it's not this long process of well if I do all these steps I can come to a relationship with Jesus that's not the case at all in fact, if you look through the Gospels, there was rarely a case where someone like had this five-year commitment of a process and then eventually they came to faith in Christ. It just Because Jesus' ministry only lasted three and a half years. He walked up to people. He walked up to people and said, come follow me. And for some of them, it took them a while to recognize who he was. But if God's been working on your heart, and saying, you know what, you got to do something about this relationship you have or don't have with Jesus. If he's been speaking to that today, you can have it. We're all sinners. Jesus died for us. He died for you. 
2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says he made him Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for you. That's what he did on the cross. He became your sin sacrifice. And him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You can't do it on your own. It only comes through him. And I would challenge you today. I would challenge you today. Don't leave without Jesus. It's the most important thing. Marriage doesn't really mean anything. Relationship, man, that means it's just life ends. Eternity begins. And where are you going to be? going to be with him or not that's what's most important and you can have that today but with that with that the bible promises you get his presence you get his power you get him to walk alongside of jesus said i'll never leave you nor forsake you he'll walk with you and help you be all that he wants you to be and if you are a follower of christ we must fight for our families we must fight for our marriages but that fight begins on our knees, as Gary talked about earlier, begging for God to work in our hearts, begging for repentance, begging that God would bring us to a place of repentance, that we would then, when we mess up, we would repent and ask God to forgive us, and then we would go to our spouse and ask them to forgive us. So those relationships can be silent. And then we pray that God would do what he talks about in this text and sanctify all of us as we learn his word, as we know his word, as he works in our heart and he makes us more like Jesus Then we can love each other like Jesus intended for us to do. So I would ask the question, would you commit to seeking God's path and his plan for marriage, for relationships? Even now, if you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ, you can trust Christ right now. There's no magic prayer. It's you telling God, God, I understand that you're holy. I'm a sinner. I repent. I turn from following my way. I'm going to trust Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for me, that he was buried and rose again. And I trust you for my salvation. You can have it today. And if you've not been following a biblical path for your relationships you you can do that today his mercies are new today his word says it and you can do today and god can move in your heart today and that starts with a lord i haven't been following your path in this area of my relationship maybe different relationships i've not been following your path today i repent i'm gonna follow your path will you help me follow your path And you could do that today even by praying for your spouse, with your spouse. You can do that. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And then Dwayne's going to come and lead us in a time of of, uh, communion, the Lord's Supper, and reflection and all of that. And I just want to invite you to do that today. Don't wait. Don't say, I'll start next week. You can start today. Lord, thank you for your time the time uh, here in your word. Thank you for how your word speaks to us. Thank you for how you challenge us. You don't leave us where we are. You didn't leave us where we were in our sin. You sent Jesus to die for us. You don't leave us where we are on our journey. You give us your word to help lead us, guide us, move us, change us, transform us. So Lord, would you do that? May we never be the same again. 
May we look back on this day as a marker in our life where you did something awesome for our journey as we follow you, as we love each other. Do that for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church.